Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Hey, has anyone here ever played computer games? Has anyone ever at all played computer games? You know, like, like maybe you're doing it now, maybe you did it when you were a kid. Maybe, maybe you didn't play computer games, but you're a parent or you're an uncle or an auntie or, or you're a friend and you've watched other people play computer games. Has anyone ever done that? Played games, watched people play computer games. Uh, what, what games do we have? You know, if we, if we think back, we've got games like Pong and Asteroid and those kind of games. Does anyone remember those ones on the Atari, a bit before my time? Uh, we've got other games like Galaga, Pac-Man, Super Mario Brothers. You know, like in the, you'd go down to the fish and chip shop and I'd have the arcade machine there and you could play on it. Or the pinball, things like that. Uh, what about Sonic the Hedgehog, Mario Kart, uh, Wolfenstein, Duke Nukem, Counter-Strike, Zelda, FIFA, Call of Duty, Animal Crossing? Anyone today? Hey, loosen up, guys. It's okay to talk about computer games in church. Well, last year, two new gaming consoles were released, and they were the Xbox. I think it was the X series. Is that right? Yes. Just asked my son. He said yes. And there was also the PS4 5. And so in my family, uh, we have a gaming console, the PlayStation 4. And the way that that came about, I'm not going to go into today. Someone came to my son and gave him some strategies on how to wear down his dad so his dad would buy it for him. And so we're not going to talk about that person, but uh, we love that, that, that family. We love that person. They're great people. So we had this PlayStation 4, and we brought it quite a while after it came out, so it was cheaper, because I'm always about saving the money, you know, like, 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 like a money saved is a money earned or something along those lines. And it came out. We've had it for a good number of years, but now the PlayStation 5 is coming out. This is towards the end of last year. PlayStation 5 is coming at him. The PlayStation 5, it's brand new. Okay, it's brand new. Built from the ground up. New electronics, new graphics, you know, new programming. Uh, everything on the inside of it is brand new. The outside of it is brand new. It's a new design. It's like this futuristic looking thing. It's widened. It's just got this crazy look. The, the controller... It's brand new, new technology. It has this new, you know, this new way of doing things in the, in the trees. It's all brand new, futuristic looking and all those things. And so being a good father that I am, I, I decided along with my wife, Gabby, that we will buy the PlayStation 5 for our two eldest kids for Christmas. And it's quite expensive compared to what we'd usually spend. But we're like, we'll do it because, you know been saving all years for my kids. My life is all about my kids. It's all about them. I pour out everything I have for my kids, you know. And so, and so we, we, we get this thing and it's for Joelle and Ethan, okay. 15 now. I was going to say 14. 15 now, still 12. Definitely not for Roman. Roman is my four-year-old son. It's not for him because he's still at the stage where you buy him presents. Two days later, it's broken. So we don't want to give him the PlayStation 5 to break. And anyway, we go out and, and we get this thing. And that was a whole story. That was a mission in itself to get that because it was sold out and all those kinds of things. Here's, here's what's really interesting. So now we've got two consoles in the house, the PlayStation 5 and the PlayStation 4. And get this. One of our children plays exclusively on the PlayStation 4. And the other one of our children only plays exclusively on the PlayStation 5. 
And it's like really interesting because I'm like, wow, this is strange. This is the new PlayStation and one person isn't playing on it. There's a new gaming platform sitting there and yet someone is choosing to continue with the old. And you know, as I stop to think about this, as I stop to say, why is this happening? This quandary that I had in my mind, why use the old PlayStation 4 when there's the new PlayStation 5? Why are you doing that? I realize something. We're all like that. We're all like that. There's a saying my dad used to use, and I'm not sure if it's his own saying or whether he picked it up from someone else, but it's this. Most of us are like the rest of us. Most of us are like the rest of us. Like We're kind of like doing the same things that everyone else is doing. We're thinking the same way that everyone else is doing, You know, especially when it comes to the new versus the old. Most of us are happy to continue with the old PlayStation 4 of life when the new PlayStation 5 of life comes along and presents itself to us. We don't like change. We resist it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. We heard that saying. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, my saying in my house is if it is broke, don't even worry about fixing it. (laughs) Much to my wife's, you know, she doesn't like that. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We're happy for things to continue as they've been. Now, if you're in a bad time of your life, if you're going through a hard situation, a, a tough time in your life, there's no doubt that you don't want that to continue. You know, if you're going through something really hard in your life, you know, you're saying, God, I want this to end. I want this to change. And today I want to let you know if that's you, you're in a place like that. Can you please let us know? We're the church. Can you please let us know? Tell someone. It doesn't even have to be asked the pastors. Tell someone sitting in the chairs next to you. You don't have to do life by yourself. We're better together. So if you're going through something, let us know so we can pray with you, come alongside you, support you in that time. But if you're going through that, you don't want that to continue. You want the good times to come back, right? You want life to be good again. But as soon as that happens, what happens? We want that to continue. We want to continue in the good times. And there's some people who are different than that. There's some people who love change. They're quite open to change. They're ready to be here, to go there. They're ready to, you know, at the drop of a hat, do something different. They love the change. But that's why I said most of us are like the rest of us. I didn't say all of us are like the rest of us. So there are people who enjoy change, but most of us don't. Today, as I share this message, even if you don't like change or you love change, it's a message I believe is for everyone today. Today in the Bible, we're going to see a people who are like this, a people who are used to the old way that things have been done. They're used to the old systems. They're used to the rules and regulations that have been in place. In fact, they embrace them wholeheartedly. They're living their life dedicated by these systems and rules and old ways of doing something, but they don't realize, they don't know the new is on its way. Turn with me today to Mark 2, verse 13, and we're going to get started this morning. Pray, Holy Spirit, you'd speak to people right now in Jesus' name. So it says this, He went out again besides the seas. This is Jesus it's talking about. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. 
And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In the time of Jesus, tax collectors were greatly despised by the, popular, uh, by the, by the society. They were looked down upon. And I don't know if there's anyone here who works at the ATO today, but I don't know. Maybe we think the same way. No, we don't. But they were despised. And so the, the, and that, but they were, were Jews. They weren't Romans. They were Jewish people. They were people within the Jewish uh, community that had decided that they wanted to be tax collectors. And what would happen is that the Romans would actually put out a tender process for people to bid to become tax collectors. And so they would say, there's a certain region here that needs to be taxed. And so we're putting out a tender, put in your bids to be the tax collector. And so people would come along and they would say, here's my bid. And they'd lay out how much money they thought that they could raise in taxes. They'd lay out the schedule of how often they would pay the taxes to the Roman government. They laid out all these details and then handed them over. And then the Roman governor, the Roman authorities of the time, would gather all these bids into, into a place. They would analyze them, look at them all, and then award the tender to a certain person to be the tax collector. I think we're all familiar with that kind of process today with large government contracts. They do the same sort of thing, tender out the work. You know, the work that's happening in the city loop in the city at the moment, the work for the Westgate Bridge upgrade and all those things, tended processes. The thing was, being a tax collector was a very lucrative business. The reason was that in your quote, in your tender, in your bid, you said, I will raise X amount of dollars for the Roman government. And the Romans held you to that. That was a quota you had to meet as a tax collector. But anything above that, they didn't care about. So to be a tax collector was very, very lucrative because you had the ability to impose taxes on people. And then you had the might, the, 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 the military might of the Roman Empire to enforce the taxes. But you could tax them at a higher rate than the quota. And so if you said to the Roman government, I'm going to ensure that you receive taxes of 20%. If you tax the people 30 or 40%, the Romans didn't care so long as they got their 20%. And so people who were tax collectors were extremely wealthy but looked down upon by society. Can you imagine your next-door neighbor, your brother, a friend you've known all your life, suddenly becomes a tax collector and instead of taxing you fairly, he taxes you at a rate that is above and beyond, and then you're having to pay it to him, and he is getting exceedingly wealthy while you're staying where you are. Well, that's what was happening with Levi, this guy called Levi. And so when Jesus invites Levi, this tax collector, to follow him, the Pharisees are looking at this and saying, What? Why, Jesus, would you want someone like Levi to be one of your followers? Why would you want someone like him to be your disciple? They're shocked. They can't believe it. And then to add to that insult, Jesus goes to his house and he starts to have dinner with him. He starts to have dinner with Levi and the Bible says others. 
Those others we could infer are possibly other tax collectors. There are other people who are rejects of society. They're people who are looked down upon by the religious leaders. They are people who have been rejected of the day and they're there with Levi and Jesus having dinner. It's not just any dinner either. It's a feast. It's a feast. There's plenty of food. There's plenty of wine. There's plenty of things going on. It's like, it's like, a, like a banquet feast that is all laid out. Tonight we're having a birthday for my daughter Joala, family birthday, and there's going to be a feast laid out of food, a banquet of food that's going to be there. And I'm going to eat it all because I love to eat food. See, the Pharisees, by this, they're even angrier. Wow, Jesus, you invite this guy, this scoundrel, this, this robber, this tax collector to be part of your crew, and now you're going to hang at his house with all the other deplorables, all the other despicable people. You're going to hang with them as well and eat and feast with these sinners. The Pharisees didn't approve of this because they lived a life of separation. They lived a life separated. They're Modus operandi was living righteously by living a life apart. They said to themselves, we won't associate, we won't have anything to do with the unrighteous, the ungodly. We won't have any interactions with those people who are far from God because we are here following the letter of the law of God and we don't want to be sullied by these sinners who are around us. These are the religious leaders of the day. And interestingly enough, when God comes himself through his son, Jesus Christ, as Jesus, the embodiment, he comes to earth, who does he seek out? Who does Jesus go to? Who are the people that Jesus spends time with? Who are the people that he teaches, that he loves, that he cares for, that he dines with, that he reveals passages of wisdom and scripture to? Who is it? He goes to the sinners. He goes to those that the religious have, re- the religious have rejected, the not rights, the outcasts, the sinners. And Jesus, he says to them, those who are well don't need a doctor. I'm feeling pretty good at the moment, so I don't think I'm going to go see a doctor. Like imagine if you're feeling so, so good, you're like, I think I need to go see a doctor. <laughs> Jesus says those who are well don't need a physician. I have come Not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. And it's a great reminder for us today, church. It's a great reminder for us today, Christian. If you are here in this place and you believe in Jesus Christ, and maybe you don't today. Maybe it's your first time in church. Maybe you've been brought up all your life in church, but you don't believe in Jesus. I pray as I'm speaking that the words of God will speak to you. I want to give you an opportunity at the end of this message to receive Jesus into your life. But it's a good reminder to us who are followers of Christ Today, that we're called to reach people, not separate from them. We're called to go out into the world, live amongst them. We're not to cut ourselves off from the world, to create Christian-only bubbles, to live in our own little enclaves and communities by ourselves, to be scared that the influence of the world is going to corrupt us. No, we're called to go out out there just like Jesus Christ did himself. That's what he did to take the message out there. But what Jesus didn't do is he didn't adopt the culture. 
He didn't practice the deeds. He didn't live the lifestyle that these people lived. He didn't take on their customs, their behaviors, their lifestyles. See, when we go out into the world, be like Jesus. Go out, but don't adopt. The Bible says that we are to take the kingdom of God out there. We are to take kingdom culture, the culture of Jesus Christ, out into the world as we go out just like Jesus did. Continue on into verse 8. It says this, and, and, and really listen to this passage of Scripture here. There's, there's some great teaching here. It says this, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. If you don't know what fasting is, it's where you take time out uh, traditionally in the Bible, to not eat food for a specific spiritual reason. So you cast aside something physical to engage in something spiritual, to see God move, to see a healing, to see finances, to see breakthroughs, salvations along those lines. So the Pharisees and disciples of John were fasting. And people came to him and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. It's interesting here that it's not just the Pharisees who are watching Jesus. It's not just as we would read the Bible and get a greater understanding of it. It's not just the, 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 the religious uh, extremists, it's not just the, the, the religious hypocrites that are looking at Jesus, it's also the disciples of John. And John was a forerunner of Jesus Christ. John was actually a prophet. They call him John the Baptist. Why? Because he baptized people in water. But he said there's one coming who's going to baptize people in the Spirit and in the Holy, in fire and the Holy Spirit. And so John was a forerunner. He, de- he declares the kingdom of God is at hand before Jesus comes. And, and he actually baptizes Jesus. And he says something like this. He says, I must decrease so that you can increase. He says, I've got this ministry. You need to realize John the Baptist, he was it. If you think about any amazing major Christian preacher, pastor, evangelist that's world known at the moment, that was John the Baptist. He's got this amazing ministry going. The Pharisees, they're all going and checking him out. People are coming to repenting and coming to God again. And he says at the height of his ministry, I must decrease so that he can increase. So that Jesus can be glorified. He points people to Jesus Christ. Today, can I say to you, church, we need to decrease our lives so that Jesus may increase in our lives. So that he may increase and people would see him. He's a herald of Jesus Christ. And so the disciples of John should not be confused with the disciples of the Pharisees. These are true believers. These are people who know who Jesus is. They know that he's the Messiah. They know that he's come from God. And yet even they are confused by the actions of Jesus and how he doesn't fast like they do. He doesn't fast like the Pharisees. See, they lived under and within the same religious structure of rules and regulations that the Pharisees did. They lived underneath this structure, the same rules and regulations, whether they were Pharisees, disciples of John's, they still lived within this system that was in there at that day. And while they followed John, who saw Jesus as the Messiah, 
they still had and viewed things through old ways of thinking and understanding. See, they were kind of like still on the PlayStation 4, not realizing that the PlayStation 5 has come. His name is Jesus Christ. And there's this really interesting thing about the Old Testament writings. If you, if you read passages of Scripture, if you read the prophets, and if you read through the minor and major prophets and, and some of the earlier uh, passages of Scripture, you'll see that God and Israel is referred to as a kind of a marriage relationship. There's a marriage covenant, a type of marriage covenant between God and Israel. And you'll see that time and time again, God refers to Israel as his bride. And you'll see time and time again, it refers to God as being the bridegroom. And it talks about how God loves Israel. He loves Israel like a husband loves his wife. Husbands, love your wife. Love your wife. He loves Israel like he loves, a husband loves a wife. And so the Pharisees and the disciples of John when Jesus talks about the bridegroom, they know what he's talking about. This is no mystery to them. They know that he is talking about God. The bridegroom is God. The, the bride is Israel. They know he's talking about God. And so he starts talking about God and he, he does something really interesting here. He does something really, really incredible. He inserts himself into the role of bridegroom. See, when we read that scripture, we see the bridegroom as Jesus. In the context of the time, they saw the bridegroom as God. In the context of time, they saw the bride as Israel. As we read that scripture today, we see the bride as the church. And so Jesus, he inserts himself into the scripture and he, and, he, and he puts himself uniquely in a role reserved for God. No one, no man, no person would ever say that they are the bridegroom. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the bridegroom. He says, I am God. I am the son of God. I am here on earth. The kingdom of God has come. Rejoice with me now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Rejoice with me now. There's plenty of time to fast when I've left. And so in the Old Testament, if there's a type of marriage between God and Israel, Jesus now brings in a new covenant, ushers in a new era where he says, I am the bridegroom and there is a new bride, the church. There is a new bride, you. If you are part of God's body of, of, of Jesus Christ, if you are part of a Christian community, he is talking about you, that's you, that's me. The person next to you. See, the old structures of religion are changing. Jesus has come. All things are new. All things are new. Jesus has come. And he continues it on in chapter 21 and 22. And again, Jesus paints pictures and he uses illustrations to help reveal spiritual truths. And he says, no one sews a piece of unstuck cloth on an old garment if he does the patch tears away from it the new from the old and a worse tear is made and no one puts new wine into old wineskins if he does the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins but new wine is for fresh wine skins 
Today we're talking about there's this old way of living. There's this old way of thinking. And Jesus is saying there's a new way of living. There's a new way I want you to live your life. There's a new way of thinking. And he says you can't mix old cloth and new cloth together. And to further describe this, he gives the example of old wineskins and new wine. It's a physical example of a spiritual truth he's trying to reveal. And, and, and today, the way that we make wine and how they used to make it back then, it's kind of a similar sort of process. You grow grapes. You then gather those grapes. They're crushed. You then put them into a, a process where they ferment and they turn into alcohol, and then you store them and do those kinds of things, and then eventually rocks up at the supermarket, you buy it, you take it home, and we drink it. That's the process of wine. And the main difference is the fermentation part. And so today, uh, we ferment wine in these massive stainless steel vats, and you know, like, like they're huge, you know, like sometimes they're like as big as this room. They're these massive vats that we ferment them in. Uh, but in Jesus' time, they were largely fermented either in clay pots or, can anyone guess, goat wineskins. Wineskins made of goat. And so the, the, the fermentation process created unique issues for them back then. See, when, 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 it, when the grapes ferment, what happens is the yeast... We've got a chemical engineer here who could probably explain this better than me, but let me have a go. The yeast converts the sugar, I'd better check my notes, the yeast basically goes off and eats all that yummy sugar, converts that to alcohol, but in the process of doing that, it lets off a byproduct gas called carbon dioxide. And this is a gas that builds up within the vessel that the wine is in. And if the vessel is not able to stretch and expand and move and be shaped, what happens is the carbon dioxide will cause the vessel to explode. Okay, so and then the unique thing about leather is that it stretches, it expands, it, 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 can, it can sort of grow a little bit. It's got give. And has anyone here ever brought like leather shoes or maybe some leather pants or some leather gloves or something like that? And what you find is that it might be tight when you first get it, the shoes. I mean, I don't have any leather pants. I mean, come on, like, please don't look at me like that, guys. But, but, you know, if you buy some leather shoes, they're a little bit tight, but the, but the shop assistant says, hey, don't worry, it's going to stretch. Your feet will fit in it because that's what leather does. It stretches, it, it, it grows, it expands, it has give. I'm sure you've experienced that. You've seen that in your own life. However, once the leather is stretched, it won't stretch anymore. Like it gets to a certain point, but it can't stretch any further. Like there's no more give. So if I'm a size 10... And I've got my shoes, and, and they're a little bit tight, but then they're stretched out, so now they're like a size 10 and a, and a quarter. You know, if, if someone in our church comes along and they've got a size 14 foot, it's not going to work. Like, the leather won't stretch that far, okay? So the physical illustration is this. New wine is still fermenting when it goes into the goat wineskins. The new wine is still fermenting. They didn't finish the fermentation process off. It's still fermenting when it goes into wineskin. So if it's a new wineskin, it's fine because it's going to stretch. It's going to expand. It has room to give for the carbon dioxide gases to push out and expand that wineskin. However, if it's an old wineskin and you fill it up, there's no capacity, there's no ability for it to stretch and expand anymore. And instead, it's going to burst. 
It's going to burst. The keys could come today. And maybe that's kind of like pretty obvious. Like, bro, you didn't need to spend five minutes explaining that this morning. We understand the principle. And, you know, the question is like, what was like, is there like a winery sign business that Jesus is running on the side that we didn't know he's running this winery and he's giving them a tour? Come through my winery. Here's the goat skins. Now you need to understand. Uh, it has to be a new wine skin, otherwise it's going to explode. Blah blah blah. Uh, in 2,000 years, listen to this podcast, Pastor Bronson. He'll explain the process to you. You know, something along those lines. An experienced winemaking tour. Has anyone done that? You can do those things. No, Jesus is not doing that. He's not doing that. But what he's doing is he's painting a picture, a, a spiritual truth for them 2,000 years ago. And it's a picture he's painting for us 2,000 years later. The old wineskin represents a worldview, a way of living, a way of thinking, a way of behaving that is incompatible with the new wine that Jesus wants to give us. It's the old man, it's the old nature, and it's been stretched. That old wineskin has been stretched and expanded and pushed by, you know, hurts and disappointments, and it's been stretched and moved by pride and hate and anger, and it's been, been, you know, pushed to its extremity by the sins in our lives and all those things, and there's no room for new wine. It's full of the fleshly way of living. It's the way we live before knowing Jesus. Today, maybe if you haven't fully surrendered your life to Jesus, it might still be the way that you're living your life today, even after knowing Jesus. And that's the disciples. That's the Pharisees, the disciples of John. That's us. That's us, the old wineskin. The new wine represents the gospel. And it's alive. It's full of power. It wants to go into a being, a vessel. It wants to expand. And the power wants to move out and push and, and, and stretch a person and, and move into this area here and take over this part here. And, and it wants to expand because it's alive and full of life and fill every area of the vessel that it's in. But it can't be forced to shape into what already exists. It needs to go into something new. It needs to go into something new. And that's an, that's an issue. That's a big issue. That's an issue for us because, as I said before, we're like the Pharisees. We're like the disciples of John. Most of us are like the rest of us. We're old wineskins. And we think it's about fasting. We think it's about saying the right prayers. We think it's about giving money. We think it's about raising our hands during the song service. We think it's about singing a song or dressing the right way or going to the right church or looking the right way or praying in tongues or doing whatever it is. We think it's about all these things. But Jesus is saying to them, He's saying to us, the old wineskin's biggest problem isn't behavior or belief, it's heart. It's heart. It's heart. Jesus didn't come to change our behaviors or our beliefs. He came to change our hearts. He's not interested in behavior modification. He doesn't want that. He wants your heart. If you don't believe me, read the New, the New Testament. 
Jesus says to them, you know, once it was written, if you commit adultery, you've sinned. Now I write, if you look at a woman in lust, you've committed adultery. He says, once it was written, if you murder a man, it is sin. Now he says, if you think and hate a person, it is sin. What is he saying? It's no longer about the outward behaviors and actions. It's about the heart. What you're thinking on the inside. He comes to change our hearts and we need a new heart. We need to be new wineskins. The prophets knew this in Ezekiel 36, 25 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. Anyone here today know that there is, a, there, there is an uncleanliness in your life? The scriptures say, come to me. I will clean you with clean water. From all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, a new wine I will put into you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. See, humanity doesn't need a new teaching. Humanity doesn't need a new system of belief, a new moral code. It doesn't need another TED talk. It doesn't even need another preach by a pastor on a Sunday morning. The world needs a new heart. Man looks at the outward appearances. God looks at the heart. We need a new vessel capable of containing the gospel message. In fact, we need to be made into a new creation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. The new is here. Today, if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe the communion that we took, was because it was true that He died for your sins. And then He rose again in victory and new life. The Bible says you are a new creation. New creation. You're not a better version of yourself. You're not an upgrade. It's not Bronson 9 to Bronson 10.5. It says you're a new creation. You're made new through Jesus Christ. Today, if you're coming to Jesus because you want to be a better you, can I tell you, no, you need to be a new you, a new creation, a totally new creation made new through Jesus Christ. So the question then is this, Jesus, if we need to be new wineskins to receive you, your new wine, the gospel, how do we do that? How do we become the new wineskin? Like, like, how do we change from the old wineskin stretched and pushed by sin to the new wineskin able to behold your Holy Spirit? How can we be able to hold the gospel message? Well, good news, church. Good news. The gospel message is good news. Man, if you think church is about being told about all the bad things, if you think church is about being depressed and oppressed, if you think church is about hearing about all the bad things. Yes, there's sin in your life. Yes, you need to repent, turn to Jesus Christ. But can I tell you something? It's good news. It's good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. You ready for it? This is the good news. When you accepted the gospel message of Jesus, it was both new wine and new wine skin. I don't think you guys got that this morning. 
When you accepted Jesus Christ, it wasn't just new wine that He gave you. He also gave you, made you new wineskin as well. So you're able to receive. You're able to get what God wants to put in you. See, that's the God that we serve. That's the God. He makes a way for us. Every other religion is about us making a way to God. Making a way to some God, to some gods. Every other religion is about the striving, the endeavor, the hard work of a human being to somehow attain. But God says, that's not how I do it. I do it a new way. I've sent myself. I do the hard work. All you have to do is call upon my name and you will be saved. You will have the new wine. You will be new wineskins. In that moment of salvation, in that moment, the gospel message, in that moment, God not only gives you salvation, He offers you a new vessel to inhabit and we still look the same on the outside. If you're here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus and you do that this morning, I can't promise you that you're going to look different on the outside. In fact, I can probably promise you that you may not, but there may be an expression on the outside that changes. But you're not going to go from... From dirty, filthy, calling your sins. You'll still may look on the outside, but in the inside, what was dirty, filthy, what was like old rags, what stunk, what was an offense to God on the inside, God exchanges it for a brand new person, white as snow, cleansed with the blood of Jesus Christ. Righteous in God's sight, not because of your own works, but because of the works of the accomplished works of Jesus Christ, more precious than gold, able to hold the anointing and the Spirit of God that is about to pour on you. And that new person, that new creation, that new vessel is filled with the new wine, filled with the gospel message, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered, able to be stretched and expanded and pushed and prodded and shaped by God's Spirit, made into the image of God that we were made to be. Here's the thing today, church. If you're trying to be a Christian and you're still trying to do the old things, you're still trying to live a life in the old way of thinking, that it's all about works, it's all about behaviors. And those things come after a, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you think that they're the main thing, you're trying to keep your old ways, it's not going to work. Jesus says you'll bust, you'll burst. You won't be able to contain the new wine. You won't be able to contain the precious wine of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying you can't follow Jesus and still be dealing with issues of sin. I'm not saying you can't follow Jesus and still have areas of your life where you, where you have to have victory and you, and you need God to help you and empower you to have victory over those areas. Every one of us needs to daily pick up our cross, confess our sins to Jesus Christ. But what I'm saying is this, you can't have it all together on the outside, but have a heart of stone on the inside close our eyes this morning. See, God's interested in your heart, the new creation life inside of you. He's given you a choice. You can continue in the old way of religion or you can step into the new way He has made available 
to us. God, we thank you this morning. Pray in this place, Lord God, that we would be Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, disciples, Lord God, who look to you, who are asking you, God, give me that heart of flesh. Lord God, change this heart of stone of mine. Give me that new wineskin. I pray right now, Jesus.